the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Live? Well, let me check. Yeah, there's uh, there's still a pulse. It's faint, but there's a pulse, so I guess we're live. <laughs> Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Great to have you with us. It is a Tuesday. The, uh, what is today, the 16th? No, today's the 17th. 17th? No, 14th. I'm really confused. You didn't correct me right away, Joel, which is scary, because normally I'm the one who doesn't have it together here. Uh, 14th of May, in case you were uh, wondering, and uh, Craig Roberts in your ear as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here each Monday through Friday addressing issues that impact your life and your world. Today we're going to do more of that. A little bit later on in tonight's program, we're going to get a chance to meet a Bay Area Christian filmmaker, Eric Santos, will join us tonight in studio to talk about the release of his new film. And, uh, details on that coming up a little bit later on. But first, I want to start with a topic that uh, while you might not be talking about today, you might be within the next several months once you start to see a bit of the uh, sticker shock at your uh, local retailer. President Trump says that he is uh, going to meet with Chinese President Xi at next month's G20 summit in Japan. Of course, the topic will be trade talks and a bit of the rhetoric heating up. Certainly at the end of the day, the president insisting the U.S. remains in a very strong position. We've never done that before with anybody, frankly, because we've been taken advantage of on all of our trade deals, practically. Our economy has been very powerful. Theirs has not been. Uh, We've gone up a lot since our great election in 2016. President yesterday insisting that tariffs on Chinese imports are working. He also said American farmers and manufacturers will be very happy with the results of trade negotiations. So what about all of this? We saw, of course, a a knee-jerk reaction by Wall Street down over 600 points on Monday. There's been a recovery today, although not entirely. Uh, What do we make of all of this? And what are the long-term prospects in terms of the health of manufacturing and retail sales here in America? Well, with some insights, we're joined by Dan Celia. Dan is CEO of Financial Issues and Stewardship Ministries. He's also the national host of Financial Issues Live. And Dan, always great to have you on the program. First, let me get your sense on this. I I think to a person, most uh, that understand the economy would agree that America has been taken advantage of for many, many decades. I guess the big question at this point is, uh, with the current war on tariffs and the rhetoric heating up and and certainly China wanting to save face, how long will it be before they eventually buckle? Well, I don't think it's going to be too long. And thank you for having me, Craig. I appreciate it. It's great to be back with you. I don't think it's going to be um, too long, frankly. You know, China needs us more than we need them. We do need them. President Trump needs them. So I think a deal is uh, closer than we might think, although it sure doesn't seem it. Uh, China desperately trying to save face. But, you know, uh, it's a very, very um, 
different situation for China than it is for us. And we can't lose sight of the fact that this trade imbalance that China has uh, kept going for a very long time is now coming back to haunt them because they don't have any ammunition. It's very difficult then for, for them to negotiate with us. Uh, what, you know, when, when we look at just the trade imbalance alone, obviously uh, it doesn't have much of an impact on us. And I know uh, most everybody out there is talking about tariffs and how that's going to impact the retail sector. By the way, it will impact earnings for retail if they were to get in place and stay in place on all the products uh, that we import. But the one thing that everybody is missing Greg, is the idea that we are all going to be paying 25% more is uh, crazy. It's not going to happen. And I'll tell you why, because two things. One is no one is better at shifting their buying habits than Americans are. Every time there's a recession, we change our buying habits. Every time there's inflation, we change our buying habits. And we've been doing it for years. And China has got to be smart enough to understand that we're not going to sit by and buy their products and pay 20, 25 percent more. And whether they like it or not, these state-owned companies are going to have to suck it up and lower the cost if they want to stay competitive. Remember, China's greatest asset is market share. They cannot afford to lose market share. When we start changing our buying habits, they lose market share, and they're probably never going to get it back again. And that is something that I believe uh, President Trump understands. And, you know, uh, right now the rhetoric coming out of China is just that. It's just rhetoric. So try as they may, uh, they're, they're very limited. You know, they talk about uh, Boeing. They threatened Boeing. Uh, they don't have any choice but to deal with Boeing, and they're going to always deal with Boeing. You know, they, if they want to have planes that are going to take the maintenance runs in the areas that Boeing has, it's going to have to be with a Boeing plane. That's number one, because McDonnell Douglas has a seven-year backup. They're going to be buying Boeing planes at some point in time. They've been using Boeing, as long as I can remember, as a threat. And it's never happened. It's not going to happen this time. So... I'm not too awfully concerned about America. I am concerned about China's economy in the sense that that is going to dramatically impact the Eurozone, and the Eurozone is going to impact us. So I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good for the globe to see what is going on in China as far as their economy goes. And they have, they have little um, left to do but to negotiate with us, and they've got about four weeks to do it. And I think they will. I think we'll have a deal. Well, and Dan, as you suggest, certainly the American consumer, fairly agile, we can always shift our buying habits. So I, I, I'm inclined to concur with you that this may not have the negative impact on consumers, as some have suggested. However, what about the retailers? What about those that have a China-centric supply chain? Can they pivot fast enough to other manufacturers? I mean, as you point out, China's not the only choice, and I guess what's what's bad for China is good for places like Vietnam or Indonesia, Cambodia, and elsewhere in Asia, or or, or why not even a shift and see uh, the possibility of moving some of this manufacturing to places like Central and South America? Well, I think there is a strong possibility of that. And, you know, in the last three to five years, most retailers 
have left China. Three years ago, we got 50% of our apparel, uh, including footwear, from China. Today, it's 15%. They already have started to shift out of there because of the regulatory burden and the cost that was happening in China. So they're already in places like India and Indonesia and all those places that you've mentioned. And Central America and South America are places that they have their eye on. I think they can pivot pretty fast. As a matter of fact, I'm shocked at how fast they've moved over the last three to five years. So, uh, you know, it may take a couple years. And that's why retailers are going to be hurt. I mean, we're going to see if these tariffs go into effect and they stay, retailers are going to have basically zero percent earnings capability. I mean, they're going to be in big, big trouble. And the last thing retailers need is more woes in that regard. So it is going to be difficult for them. There's, an, there's no doubt about it. They're already in a difficult place without all this. So um, it is going to be a problem. I think they can pivot. I think uh, if the ones that are strong enough to pivot, it's going to take money to pivot. And there are some that uh, will be able to do that, maybe even some of them coming back here to America. But, um, you know, because buying America is going to be uh, very much in fashion. So I think that uh, it is going to hurt them, certainly in the short run. I think it's even going to hurt America to a very, very, very small extent in the short term. But in the long run, all of this is going to be very good for America, American economy, and the American people. And I'll tell you, I think President Trump's popularity popularity is going to continue to rise in the midst of all this. People are are, um, you know, feeling good about seeing a show of strength from America and not, not caring about uh, the political ramifications with communist China. Is there any uh, sense, I, though, from your perspective, Dan, that this has been too much too soon? And by that, I mean, let's face it, it's taken us 30-plus years to get here, uh, that we have slowly um, atrophied and have surrendered territory, so to speak, uh, to the Chinese in manufacturing. We've been willing to accept these these ridiculous, unbalanced trade deals for years and years and years. So it's taken a long time to get here. Trying to correct this in just a couple of short years, is there any degree from your perspective that this is too much too fast? Oh, yeah, it definitely is. There's no doubt about that. And, and um, you know, this this isn't the way that we, I think, that we wish we could do it. Um, you know, I talked to Larry Kudlow, and when, when I, you know, this isn't what they would like to do. I think there is a sense of urgency that if this president doesn't get done, get it done, it's not going to get done yeah. uh, because we're going to fall right back into the same trap. But ideally, it would have been negotiated uh, slowly, little by little. We could have seen change. Uh, and, you know, the big problem with the change is going to be working, it would be working on the accountability side of the change. But, yeah, I, I do think it's too much, uh, too fast. But at the same time, I don't know that we had a whole lot of choice, to be honest with you. Well, and if you look historically, between those that either pushed for Chinese entrance into uh, uh, the World Trade Organization or brokered a lot of these crazy deals, there's culpability on both sides of the aisle, meaning uh, you can point to, the, to Clinton as much as you can to Bush. I mean, you can't even go back to Richard Nixon if we really want, <laughs> we really want to uh, split fine hairs here and, and see that repeatedly, without regard to the party's affiliation of each administration, we have 
slowly surrendered more and more territory. And I think the observation that if we don't get it done now, it'll never get done. In the meanwhile, we continue to allow, and let's face it, most of these companies, and Americans, I think, largely don't see this or understand this, most of these companies, if not wholly owned by the Communist Party or the People's Liberation Army have such deep ties into Beijing that when we talk about continuing to uh, feather the nest, so to speak, of, of Communist China, we're also really talking about emboldening the Communist regime there. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, I know that it's not politically correct to say Red China. Like, remember that? Remember when we used to say Red China? Or Communist China. I get that, but the fact of the matter is, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, this is state-owned. These are state-owned companies. If they're not wholly state-owned, they're controlled by the state. And, you know, the most puzzling thing to me that I disagreed with this president on this on the trade agreement from day one was that we were trying to fight for, you know, protection of companies' intellectual property. I think as it regard as it's regarded to national security, yes. Other than that, if these companies are so greedy that they're going over there to get that middle class market share, which is huge, and they know they know what's going to happen, then shame on them. And this is a free market economy. I don't think the government ought to be trying to protect that. I think they ought to just protect themselves or go out of business. You know, 92% of the computer systems in China run on Microsoft operating system. Only 4% have paid for it. Think about it. 4%. I wonder what Microsoft thinks about going over there the first time they went over. I mean, it, they got nothing from it. And, you know, so do why I don't understand why we have to protect that. Of course. We have to protect the McDonnell Douglases, the Boeings of the world that involve national security. I get that. But not, not your uh, average Starbucks. I, do, I don't think that we've got to too, be too concerned about Kentucky Fried Chicken's recipe getting stolen or imitated. But that's up to Kentucky Fried Chicken to do that. So I'm not sure I even agree with, with most of that. Uh, this is a state-run comp, uh, st- you know, uh, organizations, all these companies. They've lied to us over and over again. The, the idea, I would hope this president is not naive enough to think that they're going to honor whatever they say they're going to do. I mean, the likelihood of that is probably slim to none. And I think we have to go in there wide, wide-eyed and, and, you know, open to that. Well, absolutely, with eyes wide open. And, and you know, listen, it, it, it would take an absolute fool with his head buried, you know, 12 feet in the sand not to realize that historically over the last 30 years, China is not known for invention. They're known for imitation. They don't uh, lead the way with uh, creation. It's copying. And that's always been the case. And so for any American company to say, gee, we went over there with good intentions and we were shocked, shocked to find out. I mean, I, I when I used to travel into China, in the, in the early 90s, you would go down uh, Silk Road in Beijing, and you could find all of the major American brands uh, available at any of these booths for pennies on the dollar, and they weren't imitations. They were being taken right out of the factory. So, you know, you would have a company come in and say, you know, here is an order for 250,000 units, 
and China would build them for build them for three hundred thousand units, and two hundred fifty would be shipped to the states, and and fifty thousand would stay in China. They sell them for pennies on the dollar. That's not new news. Well, Dan, we appreciate uh, the insights on this, and again, it's going to be an ongoing um, battle to be sure, and an ongoing topic. We'll hope to get you back on when we can talk about this again as uh, the the debate continues. There's Dan Celia. He is, of course, the CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries. Information available online at financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. All right, 520. Let's get caught up in some traffic here. We'll do that right now. Back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. 538 here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Opening at a theater this coming weekend, the Bay Area, the worldwide, I might say, premiere of a brand new film called Fill Your Heart. Best friends growing up on the east side of Daly City. A passion for innovative music brings differences in creative directions. A true love opportunity missed by thoughts of another temporary love. Can a betrayal ever win back its trust? Is money the true way to happiness? Can fame make things well again? Can one ever come back from an addiction under their own power? Does the grip of depression ever release its hold on you? Will death take them to the brink of destruction? Or can they come back from one of the most difficult aspects of life? Or is filling your heart the only way to forgiveness? Change your life's perspective. Fill your heart. The movie in Eric Santos' directorial debut. And uh, now joining us in studio for his radio debut, at least on this station. He's been working, trying to get behind the microphone on this station for many, many years. He was my engineer here on KFAX on Lifeline for uh, back back in the mid-2000s, I guess. That's about right. Just about that. Eric Santos joins us today in studio along with supporting lead actor Zen Navarro. Guys, welcome to the program. Eric, I said years ago that you were going to knock down doors, a few that you did literally. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story. Story behind that too, but we'll save that for later. Uh, and now moving from the radio business right. into the film business, right. uh, this is an exciting uh, change or a new direction in your life, isn't it? It's an exciting venture. I never. Th- it's typically a dream of any kid is that one day, hopefully, see if you can come out and make a movie. And I had an idea. I always had these ideas in my head, and I said, you know, one day I would like to put a movie together. And, uh, you know, it's such one of these huge dreams that uh, you put the goal so far ahead of you that you think you'll never achieve it. 
But thanks to the Lord, thanks to the good God, right? I was able to kind of put together a nice script. And then uh, after the script, I said, you know what? Maybe I should actually really see if I can put this together. And, and so I started to, uh, you know, gather up a crew and, you know, I hired a cameraman and, you know, got a lot of guys from church. I mean, I had a small budget, so I you know, only, you know, get the guys that I had within the within my little play field. And uh, it finally happened. <laughs> it just finally happened. It was able to. Uh, put put my casting hat on and cast uh, actors from New York, from L.A., from San Francisco. We got a, a great wealth of um, of talent within the Bay Area and Sacramento area, and we were able to kind of just gather them all up. I had a couple casting calls and uh, took a lot of uh, videos and had them, you know, giving each one their script and the best ones. I called in and we kind of kind of narrowed it down and. I just thank the good Lord that he made everything happen. The way that now, Eric, for the benefit of listeners, you, you are a radio guy by trade. You put 30-something years into the business. Uh, you were here at KFAX for uh, quite a number of years, and from here you moved on to another station that's got the three-letter call letters I won't mention, <laughs> but they're, they, they're, they're going places. Um, let the listeners figure that part out. Uh, making the transition from an audio landscape into one that is both rural as well as visual. How difficult of a transition is that? You know, it's it's very challenging because I had to I had to use the other dynamic of uh, learning a new a new task a new a new craft. skill. Yeah, right. Audio I had audio down, but uh, video, um, though I learned it in college, and it was one of my uh, minors was film. And I was a great editor there. I, I, I kind of transitioned my editing skills so to radio. So black and white silent, though, in those days, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, it seemed like. And I was just surprised that I, you know, that I needed a lot of help uh, towards the end and, and editing the film. So to have my son, who's also a filmmaker, um, so he kind of helped me put the film together, and he helped me edit. And, and I still haven't learned the, the program that we used but, um, you know, so I have it now at the home, and it's something that I'm kind of teaching myself now. I'll probably take some classes on how to be a, a better editor. But I'm, I've heard one filmmaker say that, you know, you don't have to do everything. You just have to know how to gather all your talent and come there and get the best guys to do the work for and you. And it looks like you've succeeded at that. I mean, the, and folks can certainly check out the trailer for themselves online at fillyourheartthemovie.com. That's fillyourheartthemovie.com. It's going to be uh, debuting here in the San Francisco Bay Area this coming Saturday up in uh, Vacaville. We'll tell folks more about that in Correct. a moment. Uh, but, you know, it, it seems as if you've, you've found a lot of great talent uh, musically, certainly from a, a an acting vocation, script yes. writing, I mean, the whole nine yards. Yes. Was there a point at which early on in this process, because, you know, there there's a degree that this kind of takes on a, um, a Judy Garland kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, feeling, hey, let's make a movie, let's put on a show. <laughs> oh, um, and I suppose with modern technology, the ability to capture quality is not like it was. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, it was, okay, here's our $80,000 camera. Right, right. And today you get down to Costco, and for a couple of grand, you get the same thing in terms of quality. <laughs> but was there a point for you early on as this dream sort of started to take flight and then take shape that you went, wait a minute, this is really happening? <laughs> there was, because you, typically you do have that excitement, like Judy Garland, wow, let's just go make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey Rooney, get the can yeah, together. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get the band together. <laughs> yeah. right? You get gather everybody in, and then you realize that it's, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, it, it was a lot of work. I knew what I was getting into after the script, because I had to break down the script, have to send it to all these editors. It comes back, you know, everybody has their assessment, their opinions, and basically the final, you know, choice is up to me. 
but I have all these, you know, and, and there's times they make a lot of sense. You know, they're saying, Eric, you know, if you go to this scene, to this scene here, you're missing this part. This can't happen without here in, in this amount of time that you've wrote it in. So I have to rewrite, send things back, and then, okay, it's a little better, but they'll find something else. But with, with that grueling process, after, it took me about eight months to write the script of an idea and the thought that I've already had. And I think probably another four months of working with the editors to kind of perfect the script. And then after that, getting your, your, your crew together, once once I had to block everything out, meaning, uh, you know, get all my uh, my location shots, and then you have to storyboard all your ideas and what we're going to do, then it starts becoming real because it becomes a lot, a lot of work. And I think that was the part where I had the wake-up call going, okay, this is, a, this is no longer a, a, a... What you describe, though, that lot, a lot of work sounds like it's beginning to end. I mean, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people that, that like to sit down and enjoy a movie in the theater or at home yes. don't really realize from the initial concept into putting together something on paper and then beginning to refine it. And then it's one thing to convert it from your mind's eye to paper to eventually on to film. And it makes sense to you because you know what you want to say, but is it going to translate that way on the screen in front of the (laughs) listener or the viewer? It's it's a very arduous task. Yeah, very much so. One thing is my father, my father was a a TV producer before he passed. Um, So with him... My brother, my oldest brother, became a great storyteller. So, you know, and we, we grew up in a household literally where, you know, I always tell people that we were broker than a stepped on stick because we had <laughs> no money. So my mom, right, there were six boys. My mom, she would send him to the movies at the Grand Theater, which was $1. No, Granada, right? So he would go down to the Granada Theater, watch the movie, and then come back, and he'd have to recite the movie to us. And literally, he'd sit there and, you know, give you the opening. Okay, he's 20th Century Fox. He would, you know, give you the, do the music. <laughs> and then he would, you know, he would just, he was just a great storyteller. And as I gotten older, I would watch these movies when I had enough money. And the movies were almost dead on how he described them to me, how my mind, how the image of my mind perceived the thoughts mm-hmm. that he was telling me. I was actually w- watching the movie that he told me. He, he really learned how to convey he really did, what he saw on the screen into words. You know. So he was one of my editors. So what I would do is I would he would help me with the storytelling. So I would send him my script, and he was like, okay. And I know when he got excited that it was something good. So I would always gauge my oldest brother. Wow, there he is. And he would say, you know what? This is great right here, right? And then I have to wait for him. But you have to, you know. It was a critique. <laughs> comes yeah. in there. But I would take it to heart, and, and I just kind of really, really listened to him. And he was just really good at making sure that the story was told. This film has a very strong Christian message, and we're going to talk about that in a moment and, and meet one of your, your lead actors. But I'm curious, as you went along the way, did you begin to get the sense, as all the details were beginning to fall into place, that this is really a God thing? It was a God thing from the very beginning. And the only way that I knew that is because the, the, the movie started to come in my dreams. And typically I've heard people that, you know, that get like word from the Lord that they get downloaded. They say, I get downloaded. And one night, which I typically, you know, it was, it was that connection with the Lord where he started to download situations and it was coming so fast that I felt like I wanted to take notes in my sleep. Two o'clock in the morning. Oh, my notes, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was just coming so yeah. quick and I was just seeing flashes of certain things. And I, and I was lit, literally seeing actors. I, I almost seen like the finished film. Mm-hmm. And I seen a lot of things. I seen stages. I seen, you know, 
did a lot of positive things, right? So it, he just, I felt like the Lord was telling me that this is achievable and it's right there at your grasp if you just go out there and get it. So I just said, I walked on faith and said, okay, let's go get it. There are typically, as in the case of a lot of screenwriters, producers, there's a lot to what eventually makes its way on the screen that is certainly drawn from one's mind's eye and, and, and a sense of vision, but also a lot drawn from life. Mm. How much of this film is drawn from your life? For my life, <clears throat> from my personal life, there's, there's a lot of aspects of my personal life in the movie. Um, people that I've met, every character that's in, that I wrote in my movie is somebody that I have met one time or another. The names have been changed to protect the <laughs> <laughs> Or some of the guilty ones, yes. <laughs> But it's, you know, even even people that I've met when I was the jail minister for 10 years over at the San Francisco County Jail, there's people that I met there, just, you know, friends, and, you know, you, you just get a whole gamut of people that you meet in life. But there's some that make impacts, mm-hmm. you know. They can be good impacts, bad impacts, but nevertheless, they were dynamic characters to me that were really like, hey, you know, let me just write, and then I can kind of, you know, take that thought in a direction that I think would, uh, would uh, tell, tell my story. And so toward that end, as the story begins to develop, kind of walk us through, if you would, please. Give our listeners a bit of a sense of, of the we, – we, we heard the, the, the audio of the trailer, and right. it doesn't do it justice. <laughs> you really need to see the visual along with it. And, again, folks can go online to fillyourheartthemovie.com to see the complete trailer and get details about the upcoming screening in um, – uh, Vacaville on Saturday, and we'll share details on that in a moment. But kind of walk us through the overarching vision, the theme of this film. The theme of the film, I grew up in Daly City, so this film here, when I when I wrote it, was around my hometown of Daly City. It's about two best friends growing up in the inner city, and they have to, they have to encounter such things as a betrayal between friends, uh, thoughts of uh, fame, uh, a love of music, and then comes the addiction and uh and deception so with those elements there we have to see how this walk of these two main characters uh tends to develop and how how the outcome comes so basically it's a story of two two best friends and uh there's a betrayal that happens between the two and can they come back from that is this uh, the story of the tough life on the streets of Daly City, <laughs> Mission <laughs> Boulevard? I, I noticed that in, the, in the trailer uh, there's a there's a, a shot quickly on the outside of uh, Jefferson High School. Yeah, and, right, correct. Yeah. You know, ironically, when I was filming the movie, I went to Daly City first and went down to the city hall, and uh, I, you know, I had a limited budget, and basically, I didn't know if I can cover all the fees, you know, that they wanted for the permits. Even in the city of Daly City, even they the have city of Daly no city. kidding. Well, at the time. You should have gone to Colma. There'd be less of a fight there. There's nobody around to complain. Well, I, I did. I did a couple of shots there in Colma. You did indeed, didn't you? Yeah, I did yeah. a big, big scene in, in yeah. Colma, but in Daly City. So I got to talk to the mayor, and of course, he flips you over to the city manager, and then you end up in the city clerk's office. And you know, and I was, I just couldn't, I couldn't pay the fees that that they were they were looking for. So I, we call guerrilla shooting. So we just went out, and I just went to a couple friends' house and took some exterior shots. Some shots I figured just generally an overview, but so I did eighty five percent of the movie in my new hometown of Vacaville. So I went to the city hall there, and I had a pretty pretty promising conversation with the city manager and the mayor, where they said, "You know, Eric, you know we're behind you one hundred percent." And I'm like, "Okay, so what are the fees?" Mm-hmm. Right? And I said, "We're not going to charge you any fees, just as long as you can stay out of people's way, and uh, you, we'll give you all our resources, and um, you know, good luck." Wow. That was a God thing. Yeah, it sure was. And I, the, we had there's a ton of God things in there. So, 
you know, I had one scene where I needed the, you know, I needed some crowd control. We wanted to close off a certain street, and it's a Main Street, Main Street and Merchant in, in Vacaville. And um, it was the day of the shoot, and I've been preparing with the police department for three weeks. And, uh, you know, and it was hard because I, I couldn't get in. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, they have their gatekeepers, and I couldn't get in to talk to the right people at that so on the day of the shoot, I didn't have anybody to shut the you know the street down, and you know I had all my crew out there, and I was thinking, my goodness. And time is money. I mean, the, <laughs> time the, the, is the money, meter right? is running. All those people on payroll, the meter is running. Yeah. So there's only one thing I could have done, and that was get on my knees and go before the living God and pray and ask Him, you know, Father, help me. I need, I need help here. And I said, Lord, and I, I just like David did in his prayer when he said, you know, according to Your unfailing love, Lord, I said, Lord, You had told me before that You're going to be with me every step of the way. I go, and I need your help now. And as God is my witness, as, as soon as I got up, my, the, my phone rang, and it was my pastor. My pastor goes, Eric, is everything all right? I go, well, pastor, I go, you know, I have a situation with um, with my main shot tonight. Everybody knew about this big shot I was going to do. And he, well, what's wrong? You know, I go, I can't get through to the police department to close down the Never street. Never a cop around when you need one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can I borrow one? So... And then the pastor goes, well, you know, Pat and our, you know, her church is, you know, she volunteers to the police department. Let me give her a call, please. Less than five minutes later, Pat calls me, right, with the police chief right next to her. And she's like, Eric, I heard you need some help with some stuff. Yeah, I, just, I need this street closed off, right? Here, let me pass it to the chief, right? <laughs> and then he gets on the phone and he's like, praise the Lord. I didn't know he was a Christian. Praise the Lord. I heard you're doing a Christian movie. How can I help you, right? I go, well, I go, I, you know, I, I, it would be great if you could close off this one street that I have down here in Vacaville. I go, I would love to have some police officers that, you know, to do some crowd control. And if I could borrow some of that yellow tape that you guys put around and, you know, maybe a, a cop car we can put on the, on the side with some sirens. All, you know, I gave, I gave him the whole list of stuff that I was, you know, <laughs> I had planned. And uh, he goes, well, what time do you need us? I go, well... Our sh- our shot goes from you know six six p.m. and I was kind of he goes well how about the end when when do you need us till I go it'd be great if you can you know maybe three a.m. and I was you know I thought that was kind of pushing it a little bit he goes I'll tell you what we'll, I'll go from six to six six a.m. just in case you guys go over wow and I go wow and you know and I thought he was going to send me one police send me two police officers and it, it was just a it was a blessing. So, you know, I have a and lot you of pull love. pulled that off same day. <laughs> same Unbelievable. day. Unbelievable. Well, the Lord pulled it off. That's a God thing all the way. The Lord yeah. pulled it off. I yeah. was just a, the, the, yeah. the yeah. We know you're connected because you know me, but we know you're not that well connected. <laughs> that's right. Wow, that's amazing. It was amazing for me, especially that, you know, during that day, I, I knew that the Lord truly Did you get a sense along the way then, and I, and I think I know the answer to this, but along <laughs> the way that there were these little glimmers of confirmation that God was opening doors and paving the way, and he was really in this, really behind this? Very much so. It's funny because I had a conversation before I even started the project with my, my pastor, and I was talking to him, and he was my, you know, he's like an encourager, big encourager. And I was like, you know, Pastor, I got this dream about this, making this movie, right? And then he was all, oh, you know what, Eric? He goes, I think the Lord giving you, a, you know, he gave you a dream. And he goes, and my, my job is just to support your dream, right? And he's telling me, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then he looks at Red Mind and goes, this is of God, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right? And I go, yeah, sure it is. You know, I'm not making this. So the, the Lord really showed himself in so many ways almost every day. And uh, Zen here is one of my, what, you know, what, what, 
for me, a, a story in his life, you know, not knowing him, casting him on the movie. And then I'll let him share his experience, you know, with the Lord, because it became a, a beautiful God project. All the way Let's through. talk about that after the break. We'll take a brief time out and uh, we'll get caught up with uh, more. I want to hear more about the details of the actual film itself. Sure. If you've just joined us uh, with me today in studio is Eric Santos. Eric is the producer, writer, director. Chief Cook, bottle washer, the whole nine yards <laughs> of a new film called Fill Your Heart, which is debuting here in the San Francisco Bay Area this Saturday. You're going to be opening up at uh, Theater DeVille. Correct. Folks want to get information and tickets. Can they order that directly by going to fillyourheartthemovie.com? They can. There's a link right on top that it take them to the Theater DeVille website, or they can go directly there. And, of course, there's a trailer that you can see, more behind-the-scenes information about the film and uh, the stars, the content, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Saturday, May the 18th, debuting in the Bay Area in Vacaville. Again, at Theater DeVille. Details available on the web at fillyourheartthemovie.com. That's fillyourheartthemovie.com. All all right, we'll get back to more stories. We now know, at least, why Daily City is not considered the Hollywood of Northern California. <laughs> we'll come back to more of our visit today with film producer Eric Santos. The new film, Fill Your Heart, premiering May 18th at the DeVille Theater in Vallejo. Let's get a look at traffic right now. Just about Vacaville. I'm sorry about that. My producer's mistake. Six o'clock from the mighty KFAX. Let's get a look at traffic. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 